Welcome listeners, but take heed, we will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. Before we begin, please be aware, we have a tendency to swear. You have been warned, make no mistake, so join us now, we're For Fox Sake. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Carly, and the Gryffindor aging like a fine wine to my right is Ellen. Sunscreen. And a lot of expensive skincare and makeup products. I'm trying to be like a phoenix. Speaking of phoenixes, let's fly into the phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 9, the Half-Blood Prince and the corresponding film scenes. The trio spends time speculating what Dumble is going to teach Harry in private lessons. They have a lot of free periods and breaks that Harry and Ron decide are for goofing off. We are introduced to Slughorn's teaching in both book and movie. We see a wide variety of different potions and get a glimpse of a lucky potion that everyone wants. Harry is successful in snagging it with the help of the elusive Half-Blood Prince. During episode 211, and spit, our Potter pondering was, what do you think the third thing Hermione could smell from Amortensia was? G'day guys, Jackson here with my Potter pondering. What was Hermione's third smell in the Amortensia? I'm going to say Ron's hair. I don't know. Harry smelt that flowery scent and we were later to see that's Ginny's perfume. I'm going to say that maybe Ron uses a nice shampoo or something, and, uh, yeah, Hermione could smell his hair. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter pondering about what Hermione would have smelled in the Mertensia potion. Um, I really do believe that uh, she would have smelled Ron's hair. Like, I think it's like the smell of his shampoo. I think it's just as simple as that. And then obviously she gets all embarrassed about it and it's cute. But yeah, I think it's the smell of like his shampoo. Hello, this is David calling about the Potter Pondering. I just wanted to say that uh, at some point in time, and one of the times you guys were mentioning Harry smelling something flowery from the burrow, and then Jenny comes up and he recognizes it, uh, or subconsciously, uh, somebody in agreement went, uh-huh, as in, yes, I agree. But it reminded me of umbrages <laughs> and so it made me laugh because i didn't know that that noise could be made but in a cute uh adoring way instead of um bitch so anyway uh back to the pondering i think that what hermione smelled was the scented parchment that victor crumb used to write letters on he was into scented parchments but, yeah anyway that's what i think it was and she was embarrassed by that so okay Doodle-doo. Hey everyone, it's Max here. I think Hermione is clearly smelling catnip as her third thing from the Amortensia. It's the reason she got a cat in the first place, so that she had a cover-up for her terrible drug habit. Oh well. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was from the book. Whose memory do Harry and Dumbledore visit first? They visit Bob Ogden's memory when he serves a summons to Morphin Gaunt. Unless you're watching the movie, where they haven't even gotten into a memory, and there's no such thing as Bob or the Gaunts. Congratulations goes to... Kalista White Wolf. Yay! 
This makes it eight weeks in a row. I know Mike and Megan are getting nervous. She is catching up and catching up quick. You think she can keep it going? You never know. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 10, The House of Gaunt. And a film scene that sort of fits in with this chapter, but leaves out all the details. And I do mean all of them. All of them. Chapter 10, The House of Gaunt, Part 1. For the rest of the week, Harry follows the Half-Blood Prince's instructions wherever they deviate from Libatious Barrage's directions. And by the fourth day, Slughorn is raving about his abilities, saying he rarely teaches someone so talented. Ron and Hermione aren't happy about this. Harry offers to share the book with them, but Ron has too much trouble deciphering the handwriting. Hermione, on the other hand, insists on using the official instructions, but becomes more and more bad-tempered when they don't yield results as good. Harry vaguely wonders who the Half-Blood Prince was, and, though the mass amounts of homework prevent him from reading the entire copy of Advanced Potion Making, he does skim through it to see that the prince pretty much marked on every page, and even left notes for spells he had made up himself. When he shares this with his best friends, Hermione points out that the prince could be a girl, saying the handwriting looks more like a girl's. Harry reminds her it is the half-blood prince, asking how many girls are princes. Hermione scowls and shifts her essay on the principles of rematerialization away from Ron so he can't read it upside down. Harry glances at his watch and puts his old copy of Advanced Potion Making back in his bag, saying it's five to eight and he better get going to his meeting with Dumbledore. Hermione looks up and wishes him luck, and Ron says he hopes it goes okay. Harry makes his way through the mostly deserted corridors, ducking behind a statue when Professor Trelawney appears around the corner, muttering as she shuffles through an old deck of cards. He hears her mutter about the Seven of Spades, meaning an ill omen, Ten of Spades, violence, and the Knave of Spades, referring to a dark young man, possibly troubled, one who dislikes the questioner. She stops in front of Harry's hiding place and says that can't be right, before hurrying off again, leaving behind a whiff of cooking sherry. Once Harry is sure she's gone, he hurries off again, reaching the spot in the seventh floor corridor where a single gargoyle stands against the wall. He says acid pops, and the gargoyle leaps aside to reveal a moving spiral stone staircase. Harry steps on it and it carries him in circles up to the door with the brass knocker, leading to Dumbledore's office. He knocks and Dumbledore invites him in. Harry wishes him a good evening and Dumbledore returns the sentiment, asking if he's had an enjoyable week back. Harry says yes and thanks him and Dumbledore comments on it being busy since he already has the detention under his belt. He doesn't look too stern as he lets Harry know he arranged it with Professor Snape for him to do his detention the following Saturday instead. Harry acknowledges this, but is far more curious about Dumbledore's plans for the evening, and looks around the room for some sort of indication. His office looks like it normally does, with the snoozing portraits, the silver instruments on the table, and Fox on his perch. It doesn't look like he's cleared any space for dueling practice. Dumbledore switches to a more business-like tone and brings up how Harry must be wondering what he has planned for their lessons together. Harry agrees and the headmaster explains that he has decided it is time for Harry to be given certain information. Harry reminds Dumbledore that, at the end of last term, he told him he was going to tell him everything. 
adding on sir to sound less accusatory. Dumbledore agrees, saying he did, and that from this point forth, they are going to be dealing with memories and guesswork. Harry asks if he thinks he's right, and Dumbledore says he does, but also points out that he makes mistakes like the next man, saying that since he's cleverer than most, his mistakes tend to be correspondingly huger. Harry asks if what he has to tell him has anything to do with the prophecy to help him survive, and Dumbledore casually responds that it has a great deal to do with the prophecy and he certainly hopes it will help him survive. He gets to his feet and walks around the desk, bending over the cabinet beside the door. When he stands back up, he's holding the familiar shallow stone basin etched with odd markings around its rim. As Dumbledore places the pensive on the desk, he points out that Harry looks worried. As Harry's previous experiences with the pensive were uncomfortable, he is feeling apprehensive about it. But Dumbledore smiles and tells him that he will be entering the pensive with him and with permission. Harry asks where they are going, and Dumbledore pulls a crystal bottle full of a swirly silver-white substance from his pocket and says they are going for a trip down Bob Ogden's memory lane. Harry wants to know who Bob Ogden is, and Dumbledore informs him that he was employed by the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, who died some time ago, but not before he tracked him down and persuaded him to confide these recollections to him. Due to his injured hand, he struggles to remove the cork from the bottle and Harry offers to help. Dumbledore tells him it is no matter and uses his wand to send the cork flying out. Harry again tries to ask him how he injured his hand and Dumbledore again insists that it's not yet the time for that story. He tips the silvery contents into the pensive and as it begins to swirl and shimmer, he gestures to the bowl and says, after you. Harry bends forward and sticks his face in the substance. He feels his feet leave the floor as he falls through whirling darkness, then finds himself blinking in dazzling sunlight. Before his eyes can adjust, Dumbledore is beside him on a country lane, bordered by high, tangled hedgerows. About ten feet in front of them is a short, plump man in extremely thick glasses, reading a wooden signpost. Harry is sure this is Ogden, as he is the only person in sight and is wearing the strange assortment of clothes often donned by inexperienced wizards trying to dress as muggles. Before Harry can notice anything else, Ogden takes off down the lane and he and Dumbledore follow after. As they pass the wooden sign, Harry reads Great Hangleton, five miles, pointing in the direction they came from, and Little Hangleton, one mile, pointing in the direction Ogden went. They continue walking until these lanes begin to steeply slope down a hillside and they can see the village of Little Hangleton, nestled between two hills. Across the valley on the opposite hillside is a handsome manor house. As Ogden breaks into a reluctant trot down the hill, Dumbledore lengthens his stride and Harry hurries to keep up. He figures they are heading to Little Hangleton and wonders why they approached from such a distance but soon realizes they are not going to the village, but instead take a narrow dirt track that leads down another hill into a patch of dark trees. When they reach the opening at the copse, they come to a halt a little behind Ogden, who had stopped and drawn his wand. Despite the clear, bright sky, the shadows cast by the trees make it so Harry can barely see the building amongst the tangle of trunks. It seems a strange place for a house, and he wonders if anyone even lives there. Then, a window clatters open and Ogden cautiously moves forward before stopping again when he sees a snake nailed to the front door. 
With a rustle and a crack, a man in rags drops from a tree, landing right in front of Ogden and causing him to stumble backwards. The man, who has thick hair so matted with dirt it could be any color, several missing teeth, and small dark eyes that stare in opposite directions, tells Ogden he isn't welcome. Ogden backs away from him more, but attempts to introduce himself. Again, the man tells him he isn't welcome, but this time Ogden apologizes and says he doesn't understand him. Harry thinks Ogden is being dim, as the stranger is being very clear, especially while holding his wand in one hand and a bloody knife in the other. Dumbledore tells Harry that he's sure he understands him, and before Harry can finish asking why Ogden can't, he sees the snake on the door and understands the man is speaking Parseltongue. The man then advances on Ogden, and before he can do anything, there's a bang and he's on the ground clutching his nose, which is squirting a nasty yellowish goo. A loud voice calls to Morphin, and an elderly man hurries out of the cottage. He is shorter than the first, with very broad shoulders and long arms that make him look like an aged monkey. He stops next to the man with the knife and looks down at Ogden, asking if he is from the Ministry. Ogden angrily confirms he is, asking if he is Mr. Gaunt. The old man says he is and comments on Ogden's face, before telling him he ought to have made his presence known since they are on private property and he can't just walk in there and not expect his son to defend himself. Ogden wants to know what he needs to defend himself from and Mr. Gaunt tells him busybodies, intruders, muggles, and filth. As Ogden uses his wand to heal his nose, Mr. Gaunt orders Morphin to get in the house and not to argue. This time, Harry recognizes Parseltongue, and though he can understand what is being said, he can also hear the weird hissing sound that was all Ogden could hear. Morphin looks like he wants to argue, but a threatening look from his father changes his mind and he heads into the cottage, slamming the door behind him. The movie scene starts with a transition from Harry's advanced potion-making book to another book with a hole in the middle of the cover as Dumbledore picks it up to look at it and puts it in his drawer. The camera cuts to show a view of his office showing Fox and a mirror as there's a knock at the door. Dumbledore glances up, then places a ring in the hole of the book before closing the drawer and acknowledging that Harry got his message. He invites him in and asks how he is. Harry says he's fine and the headmaster asks if he's enjoying his classes, sharing that Professor Slughorn is most impressed with him. Harry says he thinks he overestimates his abilities, and when Dumbledore questions this, he responds, definitely, and they both chuckle. Dumbledore then asks about his activities outside of the classroom, and when Harry questioningly says, sir, he explains that he noticed he spends a great deal of time with Miss Granger. Harry quickly clarifies that they're just friends, and Dumbledore asks his forgiveness, saying he was merely being curious. He then cuts to the chase, figuring Harry must be wondering why he summoned him there. The camera cuts to a lighted cabinet filled with glass vials. Dumbledore approaches it, explaining that the answer lies there. They are looking at memories pertaining to one individual, Voldemort, or as he was known then, Tom Riddle. So aside for some obvious personality adjustments in Dumbledore, yeah, this is basically how Harry's meeting with Dumbledore started out. I don't like that they skipped Dumbledore randomly giving messages to like random people and being like, hey, take this to Harry. Right? Because I thought that was so cute. Like Jenny comes up to him at one point and is like, hey, I have a note for you. Like Dumbledore obviously had to go and like hand it to her and be like, hey, can you take this to Harry? 
And I feel like he knew exactly what he was doing there. Well, yes, that one, yes. <laughs> and Katie has one for him, I think, at one point, and Demelza at one point, too. So, like, I just can imagine, like, somebody who's never interacted with Dumbledore before being like, oh, oh he's okay. talking to me. Okay, yeah. thank you. Because he's a really powerful wizard. And I have to wonder why he picked who he picked. Because there could have been very specific reasons to, like, give him a boost or something. Yeah. It would be nice give one to Neville. I don't remember if he does give one to Neville or not. But throughout the book, there's lots of different people that he gives it to. And I'm sad that we don't get that in the movies. No, we definitely don't. Because why would we? We just know that he got word. <laughs> you got word. Yeah. It also skips out on just a little moment between the trio because mm -hmm. they're sitting around doing Guessing. homework <laughs> but they end up speculating about the half-blood prince because that's the big thing on harry's mind obviously he has so much homework that he can't really focus on the book as much as he wants to but when he has time he skims through it when he has downtime yep, yeah yeah and he's looking through it this moment in the book we do get like a little brief summary about how he keeps following the half-blood prince's instructions and it's just leading him to significantly better than anybody else's results and slughorn <laughs> is just oh my god you're amazing i rarely teach anyone this talented and ron and hermione are both like what the fuck man this sort of is mentioned in the movie a little bit when dumbledore is like professor slughorn's real impressed with you right and harry's like uh, sure. <laughs> he shouldn't be. I think it's funny that in the movie, Harry's like, oh, I think he's overestimating my abilities. It's true. He is. But at the same time, I don't think he would have said that because he's trying to keep it secret that he has the book. Correct. I mean, But he also is a pretty humble kid in the long run. Yeah. Like, he knows he's doing well, but it feels like Slughorn's putting a lot of pressure on him to be like, go be great. And like, Calm down. <laughs> he definitely expects that of the chosen one. Well, and the movie has it set up where Harry needs to play into that because he has already been told by Dumbledore to get him to collect him. Like that was ever going to not happen, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. In the book, he's a little bit more subtle about getting this help from the Half-Blood Prince. He does offer to share it with Ron and Hermione. But Ron can't read it. Yeah, Ron can't read the handwriting because it's too cramped. And Hermione is all about the official instructions, even oh, though she gets more and more upset when her results aren't as good as Harry's. Sometimes you have to tweak a recipe, Hermione. Sometimes you do. But anyway, all of this is what has Harry wondering who the Half-Blood Prince was. And like I said, he doesn't really have time to read the whole thing to look for clues, but he does skim through it. And basically every single page has marks on it. And it's not all things modifying potions. Some of it are like random spells and stuff and other notes, a lot of which looks like the prince may have made them up himself. Mm -hmm. And when Harry says, I think he made up these spells, like he made them up himself, Hermione's like, or, or herself. herself. And Harry's over there like... How many female princes do you know? Well, you're wrong, Harry. I'm just saying. Which we will learn later and also different times. Yeah, you know. 
But when he poses this question to Hermione, she doesn't really have anything to say in response to this. So she just sort of scowls and looks down and realizes that Ron is trying to read her essay on the principles of rematerialization upside down. So she shifts it away from him so he can't. And then at this point, Harry looks at his watch and is just like, oh, man, I better get going. And he puts his copy of advanced potion making in his bag because it's five to eight and he's supposed to meet with Dumbledore at eight. After playing Hogwarts Legacy, how can you get to the headmaster's office so quickly? Everything takes forever to get to. Like, five minutes? Nah, I'm going to need like 15 to get there. <laughs> Everything is so far away from each other. I feel I like... I haven't found the Gryffindor common room, to be fair. I know where it is, but I played I Gryffindor first. <laughs> I do like that Hermione is right, though. Yeah. About the prince. But on the plus side, when Hermione realizes that harry is about to go to his meeting she kind of softens a little and wishes him luck drops the tude right ron says he hopes it goes all right and harry somehow gets from the gryffindor common room to the headmaster's office in five minutes have you found the headmaster's office oh yeah i beat the game you have beat the game but i didn't know if you get to go to the headmaster's oh i hundred percented it and you do okay well that's good to know yeah He makes it there in five minutes, even having to hide from Professor Trelawney for a while because she's just like, for some reason, out of her tower. I think she went to go see Dumbledore herself. Oh, I thought she was going to the room of requirement to hide shit (laughs) because she smells like cooking. Yeah, but they imply that she has had several visits with him trying to persuade him to give her the post full time and get rid of friends. So she could have been coming from there, which is is why he passed her. I feel like in the halls, it would be nice to have extra help. Yeah, she doesn't see it that way. Maybe she's a little close minded. I mean, it's entirely possible. She does say her inner eye is so open. It shut off her mind. (laughs) She does say something about the centaur or something like that. And I'm like, doesn't she call him like a mule or something like? Yeah, she does call him like an offensive name. Yeah, I'm like, so are we not cool? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 talk about we'll that there. when we get to that specific moment. This is just she's just turning the corner, shuffling through a deck of cards, muttering to herself, and Harry's just like, "Oh fuck!" and just ducks behind a statue. And I think this is actually hilarious because when she gets closer to the statue, she ends up stopping, looking over the cards that she's flipping, and she mentions something about the Seven of Spades ill omen ten of spades violence and the knave of spades which refers to a dark young man possibly troubled one who dislikes the questioner and she's like well that can't be right and i love it because it literally is harry who's right there and it is right it could be harry or it could be malfoy i have had that thought so many times reading this book that she is near the room of requirement the possibly troubled oh. is the only one that I have, like, that's the only thing that kind of tilts me towards. Because at this point, Harry's not really troubled. At least not really. But that's why well, I think Malfoy. But Malfoy is definitely troubled. Yeah. So, Whereas Harry is possibly troubled. Okay, well. But I always thought that maybe it was referring like to that, him. I though. That's interesting. I never considered that Or both before. of them. Yeah. It was just funny to me that she's standing right next to him and has no idea that can't be right. No. And then she hurries off again and all Harry can smell is the cooking sherry that you mentioned. So yeah, she could have been on her way to hide, but she wasn't clanking that time. 
I'm so sad that she has to drink cooking sherry. <laughs> Maybe she likes it. Oh, Lord. I don't know. <laughs> Get you some whiskey, ma'am. Right? But once Harry knows she's nowhere near, he hurries off again. Gets to that spot on the seventh floor corridor where there's just a single gargoyle standing against a wall. Gives the password, acid pops. And as per usual, though it's always different in the movie, in the book it's per usual, the gargoyle leaps to the side. It's so cute. <laughs> and it reveals the staircase. And it's a stone spiral staircase. So Which it is gets portrayed pretty similarly otherwise. And it's moving. So I like all of that. Yeah. I think that they probably didn't want to make it look too cheesy. And I feel like they would have had to use CG to make it jump. So it would have looked really cheesy. True. However, you probably could have used puppets. Ask Jim Henson. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess you couldn't have Well, you could ask Brian Henson right. and Frank Oz. One thing I will say about the movies is I think they brought so much of the magic alive amazingly. But even you can see it even in Hogwarts Legacy is they did a lot of magic technology. Yeah. And it's definitely more techie than I expected from reading the books. Yeah, I agree. And I don't dislike that. No, it's just kind of how it It just works. wasn't fully how I pictured it. Yeah, I agree. But like when I did the mission to go to Honeydukes mm -hmm. and there was a freaking elevator, I was just like, there, there wasn't an elevator in the books. Not in the books, but maybe, you know, maybe they got rid of it. Because Hogwarts Legacy does take place like a hundred years before That's true. Harry Potter. So, ow. They got rid of the elevator and put in a staircase, though. Ew. Because that's what Harry walked yeah, he down goes, a million stairs. Yeah. It just seems a little weird to me, but I also didn't not like it. Maybe the elevator broke and they couldn't repair it for whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know, but, you know, little things like that I noticed. I don't mind them, but it's not how I was picturing it when I read the books. Well, they also have to make it a little more challenging. So adding in that scenario where you have to repair o stuff yeah. and go up is, you know. I mean, the stairs could have been broken. Well, that's true. <laughs> anyway, Harry steps on the essentially spiral escalator made out of stone, mm -hmm. rides his way up to the top, and there's that large door with the brass knocker leading to Dumbledore's office, which I keep calling the headmaster's office Dumbledore's office, even in Hogwarts Legacy. Yeah, Len is like, whose office? And it's just like, Dumbledore's. Like... <laughs> I don't care it's that he never hasn't anybody been else's. Yet. It's Dumbledore's. Until it's McGonagall's, then it's fine. But yeah, he knocks. Dumbledore invites him in. I have a question about how you think this is set up. Does Harry step into like a small landing? Or is it like he literally just stops and the door is there? I feel like there's got to be a small landing. I kind of there is a the game. small landing, yeah. So... But yeah, I do kind of picture a step off the stairs, you're on a little landing, and there's the big door. Yeah, oh. that's kind of... But then other times when I'm, like, falling asleep, I'm picturing him stopping, and there's just a door. Like, you're just there at this, where the stairs stop, and that would be interesting. Yeah. Like a penthouse, you know, it, like, just opens up <laughs> into the office. So I yeah. kind of thought about that a couple of times. Huh, yeah. I mean, there's a password down below, so theoretically, it could have just been intended to be the staircase takes you right to that door yeah but anyway he knocks and Dumbledore invites him in so in the movie we get it from Dumbledore's perspective where he's in his office and Harry shows up 
but in the book they have it where Harry is coming up and he's going through the escalator and he comes in all through his point of view. So it's very interesting to see Dumbledore and what he's doing in his office before Harry gets there and then give us that, oh, he has these things. What are these things? Like, it's just a little play to the Horcruxes that you don't know about yet. Right. And obviously we know what the diary is. In the summary, I just described it as a book with a hole in it. Yeah, it's a diary. Because they aren't specifically telling us what it is at that point. But we know that it's the diary from the second one. Yeah. We do get a glimpse of the ring that we got a glimpse of already in the book, in the movie at this mm -hmm. point. Yep. But we don't really know what it is. But it's the closest they get to introducing us to what happens in the book. Because mm -hmm. other than that, it's just not there. I don't even think Dumbledore mentions that he was foolish and puts on the ring. Like, they just show Snape tending to his hand. Just like, bruh. <laughs> Eventually, yeah. we'll get yeah. there. We'll get there. We'll talk about it then. It's just so it's... weird how much was included but in also this out. whole chapter that the movie was just like, nah, we don't need that. Just like we were talking about last night, like, no, Voldemort doesn't need a backstory. What are you talking about? He's just evil. He's just, he is just evil because he's related to Salazar Slytherin. Yeah, that's all. And we're not going to tell you how he's related to Salazar Slytherin. Nope, you don't get that so. connection either. Just know that he is, know that he's bad. The end. Yep. But anyway, now that Harry has entered the office... It's lining up pretty well because we don't have the perspective switch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Harry walks in, says, good evening. Dumbledore says it back. He's very polite and very formal in <laughs> every manner of speaking, which it's like a whimsical formal, though. Yeah, he's just goofy Dumbledore, very neurodivergent Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> he speaks super formally, but his word choice and his analogies and like different things that he mentions and brings up are just so odd but delightful <laughs> he's very quirky he's neurodivergent definitely and i feel like the movie tries to do that in this one well i think it's similar to what you said like michael gambit didn't read the books so he couldn't portray that whimsy correctly yeah, he figured everything he would need was in the script and he had the directors, but that's very actor of him. I hate it. I just like, I mean, he was a good actor. I just did not feel like he understood Dumbledore. And how can you if you don't see everything that he is? You need to read the reference material. Yeah. Like Alan did. So. Shit, he did more than read the reference material. I mean, yeah. He, he spoke to the creator and he got the inside scoop and he really understood who Snape actually was. And that's a big deal to be an actor instead of just following your script. Acting is listening. From what I've learned from being on stage and being backstage, acting is listening and... Responding. Responding correctly, not just It's not just your reciting lines. your lines. We actually talked about this in a previous episode and I ended up editing it out because the episode was getting really long and we had just gone <laughs> off the rails. But it's the same concept. And it really fits in here because he was just saying his lines. Yeah, he was. And I don't think he understood who he was being. A whimsical old man with neurodivergency. 
Very brilliant. And like some of the lines that were in here, I really, really missed. And the ones that they replaced them with, I was like, why? That was just weird. Yeah. But we're getting <laughs> to it. So anyway, Dumbledore asks Harry if he's had an enjoyable first week back, which kind of happened in the movie-ish. Yeah. He asks him if he's been enjoying classes. Harry says, yes, thank you, because he feels the need to be very formal around Dumbledore as yeah. well because of the way he speaks to him. And he's very good about, yes, thank you, yes, sir. And no need to call me sir, professor. Right. And Dumbledore then says, it's been pretty busy since you already have a detention under your belt, huh? Hilarious. I wish we had gotten this I so know. much. I wish we had gotten this. I mean, obviously, Harry didn't get the detention in the movie because they didn't give us the perfect line. The perfect line. I was going to say the potions class. And then I was like, nope, it's not potions because Snape is teaching defense against the dark arts. But regardless, we didn't get it. So we didn't get it. So we didn't get it. <laughs> it's true. And if you followed that, welcome to my neurodivergent brain. <laughs> the neurodivergent podcast. Yes. That would actually be a fun podcast name for a podcast about the Divergent series. <laughs> ha! I wouldn't be on that with you because I have no idea about it. But if I were comparing the Divergent books to the Divergent movies, nobody would want to listen to me because it would just be so much hate. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, back to Harry Potter, the one at hand. Harry's like a little bit like, uh, but Dumbledore doesn't look stern. So he's just like, I like that. He loves that. Er. And then he, he lets him know that he already set it all up with Professor Snape that he'll do his detention the following Saturday instead. So Harry's just like, right, okay. And he doesn't really care. He's just like, how did Snape react? No, he doesn't care about any of that at all because like he wants to know to why he's there. And he kind of looks around the office to see if there's any clues. No. But he had it's set up like it always is with the silver instruments all over the tables and you got fox there perched on his thing and it seems like it's a pretty cluttered office like dumbledore says himself that he has too much stuff he's neurodivergent absolutely but it's pretty clear that he hasn't cleared out any space for dueling practice or anything like that so harry is none the wiser like, what to doing? what he's going to be doing can we read in some books my sir right <laughs> to his knowledge that's all it thinks but i really wish that we had gotten a glimpse of the stuff that we've been talking about in the movies like harry ducking behind the thing to hide from professor trelawney that would have been so funny to see dan do and to have and honestly dan had some amazing comedic moments in he this does, movie yeah. but they they weren't the ones that you wanted with no. the exception of one which we'll get to I think that this movie is the most like teeny bopper comedy esque. Like they just kind of made it like a teen comedy movie. Yeah, it's so weird because I get that it was dark. I mean, this chapter, it's going to come up more in next week's part. They drop out a lot of the darkness. But this chapter itself, like, I was reading it while I was writing the summary. And, mm. my, I mean, I've read this chapter I don't know how many times over the years. But when I was reading it again this time, it was really hitting me just how fucked up it really is. And the movie was like, we don't need to include this. No. 
And I don't get that, aside from the fact that maybe they were just trying to lighten it a bit, but it wasn't light. It was it not light. Why would you try to lighten up something that was never meant to be light? Leaving out parts like Harry diving behind the statue to hide from Trelawney, not giving Emma Thompson a second in this movie. Is she even in this movie? She is, right? For like 10 seconds. Sure. I just, she's wonderful. And I would love to see more of her. But maybe this movie was hard for her to be in because HBC was in it so much. Yeah. I don't think they had any scenes together, really. So they probably could have avoided each other. But probably. But I love that. And I'm sure they're both professional. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Emma Thompson in Love Actually, that's like what happened. And that makes me sad. (laughs) Except I don't think her and him had kids together. So little less traumatizing but i just wanted more of the details of like harry being 16 hiding from his teacher going and actually going to dumbledore's office would have been nice to see instead of more of the characters in general yeah it feels like there's no character development at all in this this one no not even a little bit and the character development in the world creation that's what made people love it Like, yeah, the story is wonderful. It really sucks you in. Mm -hmm. But the thing that made it so magical was the pride that you feel for Neville. The connections you feel to the characters in general. Luna's overall quirkiness and all of those moments. Like, we get some of it. But that's what made people love it. And it was like they stripped it down to this cold bare bones that was just meant to move the plot forward and yeah the plot was great it's a great story but it's not what made people love love it it. yeah i think chris columbus did a really good job with doing that magical well he tried to stay really close to the books except you left out peeves but no judgment there they tried to include (laughs) they tried to include it it just didn't work out but I mean, I'm not happy that it didn't work out, but at least they tried. I just love how Chris Columbus built the world in the first two movies because he did set the tone for the rest of the movies to move forward. And I think that Alfonso Cuaron was the one who really gave it the visual yes. aspect of Harry Potter. Yeah. It was like the two combined really created the feeling of Harry Potter. And then we go into the fourth one, and it just starts becoming all about the story and, the and getting down the basic out. Yeah, yeah, and it felt very stripped down. I think that's what this whole podcast is about. It's all stripped down. It's naked Harry Potter. It's naked Harry <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It is naked Harry Potter. Especially when they do things like cut straight to Dumbledore's office. Yeah, and once they're in the office for, you know, the two seconds that this is... It lines up semi-well. Bit, yeah. Like, you have the similar things. Like, we talked about, they greet each other. There's inquiry about his classes, classes. or how his first week back is. Like, it's definitely parallel here. <laughs> but this is when Dumbledore really starts to show that whimsy. Because even though he gets more business-like, he's like, you must be wondering why I've asked you here. He does do that in the movie. Yeah, so it's lining up. Harry's just like, yeah, I totally am. And Dumbledore says, well, I've decided that it's time for you to be given certain information, especially now that you 
know about the prophecy and everything. And Harry's like, dude, at the end of last term, you said you told were going to tell me everything. And he's a little accusatory about this because he's just like, are you trying to tell me now that you didn't actually tell me everything? Sir. And then he's like, <laughs> sir, because he does it try to, to be very, yeah, formal with him and polite with him. And he does have the utmost level of respect for Dumbledore that he does not have for Snape. So True. he does add on that, sir, without it being detention worthy. And Dumbledore says, yes, I did. From this point on, we are going into the realm of guesswork. Together. Yeah. Which is good. And he says, I may be as woefully wrong as Humphrey Belcher, who believed the time was ripe for a cheese cauldron. And I have to say, the time is always ripe for a cheese cauldron. Yes, correct. But I have to wonder, is it... A cauldron full of cheese or is it a cauldron made out of cheese? Either one is fine with me. I thought a cauldron made of cheese, but then I started thinking fondue is basically a cheese cauldron. Right. So that's my life. Oh my God, I'm going to have a cheese cauldron party. Me too. <laughs> we'll you have can two. come to mine. <laughs> mine will be a chocolate cauldron party. Ooh. Yeah. It could be both. It could be once. both. Cheese and cauldron. Yeah. Cheese and cauldrons. <laughs> cheese and cauldrons. <laughs> cheese and chocolate. Cheese and chocolate cauldrons. Yeah. This is Dumbledore whimsy. That the book gives, and it's very good whimsy. It's so random. I have to say, the author is really is truly very good at saying the most random things that you wouldn't expect and have them be hilarious. I feel like these are like things that she was thinking about while she was making the world. Yeah. And just random bits that she wrote down, and she was like, oh, you know what? I want to include this, but I'm going to do Dumbledore's going to say it at a random point. The attention to details like that is what also makes it lovable. It is. Like, at the end of the fifth book, when Umbridge is trying to sneak out and Peeves goes after her, whacking her alternately with a walking stick and a sock full of chalk. Like, shit like that. Yeah, shit like that just tickles my fancy so much. I absolutely love it and that is not the whimsy that we got in the movies no the whimsy we get in the movies even though you don't like it i enjoy it a little bit i don't think it is dumbledore whimsy but i think it's funny because like we said earlier he knows nothing's going on with harry and hermione he knows oh that he knows her- that he's dumbledore he definitely knows he that. knows that hermione and ron are going to end up together or hopes at, at least. least suspects you know dumbledore's a shipper he was like, oh, James and Lily like each other. Let me make them both boy and head right? he, James wasn't even a prefect no, he wasn't. and got to be made head He boy. was like, I'm going to put these two together. They need to be together. He was like, I'm going to give James more responsibility so he gets his head out of his ass and Lily sees him for what he really is. True story. Hilarious. But we get the question of, what about you and Miss Granger? And Harry's like, do what? <laughs> I noticed you've been spending a lot of time with her. No, no. I mean, she's brilliant, it's but we're just friends. Been six years, and you're just realizing he spends time with her? Lies. No, Lies. no. No. I. It's not that I don't like it. It's just not Dumbledore. It's not the same. And Dumbledore is my favorite character. And, like, I don't think he would ask a question like that. My favorite character's dead, so. I mean, give, <laughs> I don't give get me to a be few angry. more chapters. <laughs> yeah, give me a few more chapters. He'll be gone. But, you know. But, like, it was just so not what I would expect from Dumbledore 
when we had this amazing line about the cheese cauldron. I'm like, why? Why would you do that to my favorite character? I don't know why. I don't know why. Why? He's why? a meddling shipper teacher. Absolutely he is. I believe that 100%. But he could still be that and say things like Humphrey Belcher, who believed the time was right for a cheese cauldron. Yeah. Because you know he was yeah. like, who likes each other? Who can I put them together with? Who is... How do I make this happen? Yeah. How do I Absolutely. get Hannah Abbott and neville together at the same time but yeah i just i thought that scene was awkward it was it was a little weird to have your teacher ask you about your love life i don't ask my students about their love lives if my middle schoolers want to tell me about it then i will be supportive i have actually literally found out that one of my favorite middle schoolers was dating another boy who was a disaster just like attitude out the wazoo <laughs> attitude out the wazoo doesn't do his work just he is absolutely a cute kid and all of the girls had crushes on him but when she told me that they broke up i'm like good you can do better and then i was just like i shouldn't have I said say that? that i don't <laughs> i should i shouldn't have said that i should not have said that <laughs> but i'm not the one who brought it up no she did and i don't think that dumbledore would have done this so I, that's why I'm like, eh, cheese cauldron, come on. Cheese cauldron. And then, like I said, even though it's whimsical, they're still having a real conversation here. Because yes. Harry's like, but just you think on. you're right. Yeah. And Dumbledore said that he does, but he, as he's even admitted before, he makes mistakes. And he says, forgive me, but being cleverer than most, my mistakes tend to be correspondingly huger. And I think that self-awareness mm. is absent from the movies as well. It is. Maybe it's because they had to split Dumbledore. You know, first two movies we had Richard Harris. So it's like Michael Gambon didn't get to get that beginning yeah, you know, like things like in the third one when Ron's leg was all mangled and he was in the hospital and like Dumbledore like fucking pats his hurt leg. Like Dumbledore would never do that. No. Kind and caring man. It's so... And he's self-aware, like you he's said. He's very self-aware. Like, and he knows everything that's going on around him. He would never absent-mindedly pat an injured kid's leg. Like shit like that just Let's made me joke. so mad. And... He does plenty of things that are hilarious on their own. Like, use the real Dumbledore material to make no. him that whimsical character. Don't make him a fucking idiot who's oblivious to everything around him. They loved doing that. Yeah, they kind of made Dumbledore like a stoner. Yeah, he was hippie Dumbledore. He was getting all up in that gillyweed. And I was like, no. No. <laughs> Dumbledore's omniscient and you can't change my mind. No. He knows everything. He knows everything, and he picks and chooses who he shares it with. And I also think that the reason he discounts Trelawney so much is because he actually is a seer. And he's way better than she is. And he's <laughs> way better than she is, and he discounts her a lot. He doesn't even discount her. He's honestly like, wow, she made three predictions, right, in the last two years? Let's yeah. go. Let's give her a raise. Like, right. He's like, hell yeah. I don't think he does discount her, but I also don't think he takes her whimsical her predictions whimsies. serious because he's seen the real ones. Yes. And I think that he is a seer and that's why he knows everything. But he is what you said a lot better. Yeah. 
he knows everything. And if I he wants think, to know something, he's like, let me fiddle around in my right. noodle for a minute. And, I'll and I it out. think with that great power that he has comes a great responsibility that he doesn't always handle properly. Correct. Hence the making the mistakes. Mm. And I don't... I don't think he's perfect in any way, shape, or form. No. But I don't think he's the bad guy that a lot of people want to make him out to be. I don't really like that he does keep a pretty large secret from Harry. I understand why he did. Even he admits after the fact that it was a mistake. Yes. But he's dead, so... Yeah. What? (laughs) Yeah. But, you know. But anyway. Continuing. Yeah. It's just... We could do a full episode on Dumbledore. We really could. We, we probably will at some point. The whimsy is woven into their general conversation. It's much more natural. And the movie made it a lot more awkward. Because, <laughs> you know, he's talking about his mistakes being huge. Or he's talking about cheese cauldrons. Harry wants to know if what he has to tell him has anything to do with the prophecy. And will it help him survive? And Dumbledore is just like, well, I yeah, so. <laughs> it has a great deal to do with the prophecy. And I certainly hope that it will help you survive. And then at this point, he just gets up and walks around his desk, heads over to that cabinet beside the door, bends down and stands back up, holding a very familiar stone basin, which we know is the pensive. I'm intrigued at how they describe it in the book versus how they describe show it in the movie like it's like a silver basin in the movie and it's very shallow like they say but they describe it as a stone basin here and that's very yeah it looks more like a stone basin in the video game oh i haven't seen it in the video game i don't you see it a couple times because i haven't gone there but yeah i mean that would make more sense and then it's got the odd markings around the rim now harry immediately knows what this is even though at this point they're they say a familiar shallow stone basin and then they start calling it the pensive after they acknowledge that Harry knows what it is. Yeah. <clears throat> and as Dumbledore sets it on his desk in front of Harry, he's like, you look worried. And Harry is looking at it it's like the last very time I apprehensively <laughs> because he's like, uh, every time I go in that, yes, I get information and I love that. But usually it's really uncomfortable. It's and true. Dumbledore just smiles at him and says... This time, you are going to be entering the pensive with me, and even more unusually, with, with permission. permission. Which and is it's true. just, yeah, it's true, but it's also just so funny the way he words it. Like, mm-hmm. he's calling Harry out for being a meddler, but he's not mad about it. Yeah. And we don't get that shit from Dumbledore. It just, it upsets me. I did get a little heated a little bit ago, but it like, does. it's upsetting. It is upsetting that you leave so much out of this important character. But when they go and they look at the memories in the swirly case, I don't even, it's like a lazy Susan. Yeah. But it's like a lazy Susan of crystal bottles. In the movie, we looked at this really closely because it really, really bothers me. Yeah. They labeled the memories Thomas Riddle. His name is not Thomas. His dad's gravestone says Tom. Yep. So he is just Tom. He is not Thomas Riddle. He is Genuinely, Tom Marvolo Riddle. If he was Thomas Riddle... Voldemort wouldn't make sense. No, but Dumbledore would also call him Thomas. True. A hundred percent. And when we were watching the movie, I was like, pause that. That says yeah. Thomas. I was really irritated. I was like, no, that's not right. These crystal bottles, one, are not labeled. 
No. From what it says, which Dumbledore, how old does your he, neurodivergent brain keep up with that? Right. But he doesn't even have a fancy cabinet for him. He literally pulls the memory that he's going to show him out of his pocket. Yeah, he's already, he probably has them in the back label. Yeah. And he's like, I'm ready. Here we I go. I know what I need today. But I like this because he is very whimsical about it. He's like, we're going to take a trip down Bob Ogden's memory lane. Which was our trivia question. Which was our trivia question. And it's so, I don't know, like the way he says it, like down his memory lane. That's just some, like, I don't know. Yeah, just and the movie better. does not give us that at all. He's just like, these are Voldemort's memory, but, you know. These are back pertaining then, to Voldemort. Tom yeah. Riddle. Yeah. I'm just so fired up. I can't even think clearly right <gasps> now. <sighs> but. But no, he doesn't, like, he spells it out for him, and then we barely get to see do we only get anything we only get one memory yeah and the one memory that we get is which we'll get there but yeah. you know it's not it's this not one. this memory it's not this memory i would have loved to see bob ogden because he sounds so cute to me i just imagine like the chubby realtor from princess and the frog and then he's like wearing a striped bathing suit with what did they he has like a frock coat on over it yeah frock coat and spats yeah and i love it i would have loved to see bob ogden and oh spats are so cute he would have been so fancy this also reminds me of the banker in a series of unfortunate events <laughs> i could see that mr poe yes Why? i've said this before it's just so disappointing when we don't get the moments of the wizards trying and failing to dress like muggles i know <sighs> I was watching Chamber of Secrets last night, and Ron and Harry, when they're in Hagrid's cabin, are just dressed in muggle clothes. I know. And I'm like, but y'all look cute. Like, you're, it's not a it's I mean, not a difficult thing. And the I kids mean, are better at it, usually. They are. It's but the I adults. Mean, but even Lucius Malfoy comes in with his <laughs> old man ponytail. <laughs> and he, his brony tail. His brony tail. <laughs> it's just... I would have loved to see stuff like that. Like Mr. Weasley, he would have been so cute dressed as a muggle because he would have, oh, he would have just been I'm still so never going to get over not seeing Archie in his ladies' nightgown. We gown. will see Archie in the show. We better see Archie Give in the show. Archie. If I don't hear I like a healthy breeze around my privates, <laughs> I will write a very sternly worded letter. HBO, listen to our podcast. Know what you need to put in the show. Right? everything oh it's netflix. just no is it netflix or HBO? no it's, it's hbo okay yeah because warner brothers owns max got it yeah noted no just know that it's everything guys it's Please. everything and specifically keep in bob ogden's memory because yeah, this is an no, important this memory is so important we don't get a ton into it at this point because we're just getting up into introducing everything but we do get to start it and because of his injured hand, which barely gets acknowledged in the movie, like barely gets acknowledged. It's there. It's a sight to see. But it's not playing into the story the way that it does in the book. No. Because in this moment, he's trying to remove the cork from the bottle and is really struggling because of the hand. Harry even offers <laughs> like, to help it. him. Yeah. And Dumbledore's just like, no, no, never mind. Pulls out his wand and just uses the wand. Why, Why didn't he didn't do that, that in the first place? I don't know. But it's probably easy to forget that your hand's not working properly. Things well, that yeah. you do all the time, you don't think about. But also, like, maybe hold it in your injured hand and use the... But... Whatever. You do you. You yep, have a wand. Yep, all right. It's fine. He, he gets it out in the end, dumps it into ha, the pencil. That's what she said. Yep. <laughs> and 
it starts to do the, you know, the brain jizz swirl and shimmer. And he gestures to the bull and says to Harry, after you. Strange. And why? Like, why don't we get those moments? That's all they want. I just really want quirky <laughs> Dumbledore. It's not all I want. I want everything. But this is something that I desperately want. And then naturally, Harry bends forward, sticks his face right in it because he knows exactly what's going to happen. I feel like this would be very unnerving to just feel your feet leave the floor and then all of a sudden you're in a country lane. And it's got to all be happening in your head. I don't like... You're not really being transported somewhere, right? Have you right? seen yes. the comic of them laying in and Snape comes in and he's like, uh, I'll, come I'll come back, back later. <laughs> it's just Dumbledore and Harry laying their faces in. Yeah. It's hilarious. I'll, we'll have to share it. I'll see yeah. if I can find it. But yeah, like that sensation to like not actually be leaving the office. Maybe it's like when you're falling asleep and you feel like you're falling. Yeah, maybe. Could be something like that. Weird. And it just pulls you. Yeah. Weird. Just pulls your subconscious. But he had just come from a fairly dim office through darkness and mm. had landing in this cloudless sky with dazzling Oof. sunlight out on the this country lane bordered by all of these huge tangly hedgerows. Mm. And he doesn't even have time for his eyes to adjust before Dumbledore's right there next to him. And then as they start to, he sees about 10 feet away is that short, plump man. He's wearing extremely thick glasses as he's reading a wooden signpost. And Harry is positive that this is Bob, Bob Ogden, Ogden because yeah. there's nobody else in sight. And he's wearing that strange assortment of clothes. <laughs> you know, they talk about the glasses. All I imagine is the guy from Aristocats, the lawyer, <laughs> when he puts on his glasses and he takes his pen and goes, wee, 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 yep. wee, wee. Yeah, that's all I see. It's the thick glasses. It's cute. <laughs> and before he has time to pick up on anything else, Ogden just Run. starts walking down the lane so he and Dumbledore follow after and when they get close enough to that sign Harry can read that it says Great Hangleton five miles behind them where they mm -hmm. came from and they are headed towards Little Hangleton which is a mile away and that's the direction which Ogden went this is a throwback to Goblet yeah and if you happen to remember the name of the town in the first the chapter, Riddle House then you're gonna be like huh. that sounds familiar yeah because it should yep Unless, of course, you only watch the movies, in which case, even though you saw the house, you did not know where they where were. Was, yeah. But they just keep on walking. The lane starts to go down a hill, really steep hill, and they can actually see the little village of Little Hangleton. It's <laughs> right in between two hills. And then on the opposite hillside that they're walking down is a huge, handsome manor house, which this should also sound familiar mm -hmm. from the fourth one. And because of the downhill, it kind of causes Ogden to speed up reluctantly. <laughs> yeah, it's He like does not look like one who trot. likes to trot, I but like doesn't have a choice. It's so steep. So Dumbledore just lengthens his stride, and Harry has to hurry to keep up with him. And he thinks that they're heading to Little Hangleton. Wrong. And he's like, why did we have to approach it from such a distance? Same question he asked Dumbledore about approaching Slughorn's house when they went to go meet him. But quickly realizes that it's not the village that they're heading towards they take this narrow dirt track that leads down another hill and into a patch of dark trees and it's so dark that even when they hit the opening of the copse he can't even see the house yeah or little cottage thing that they're approaching but 
realize that they're there because Ogden has stopped and drawn his wand. Little ominous. Gaunt. Ha! <laughs> Harry's like, well, this seems like a really weird place for a house. And he does notice it eventually, but is like, there's no way anybody even lives there. Like, that's got to be uninhabited. Yeah. And then a window opens and, like, smoke starts coming out of it. So it looks like somebody's cooking there. And Ogden starts to move forward rather slowly. But stops again because there's a fucking snake nailed Nailed to the the front door. And if there is anything in the world that screams, I am mentally unstable. It's jumping out of a tree in a tunic or whatever reason with a snake nailed to your front door that's well, yeah, what i was getting at because that is what ends up happening though ogden is hesitating at the sight of a snake nailed to the door and this man in rags with like super thick matted hair so dirty you can't even tell what color it is he has several missing teeth and these small dark eyes that stare in opposite directions i'm so stressed out for him would you like a shower i can clean your hair <laughs> Ooh. they might have fleas Harry specifically thinks that the effect would be comical, mm-hmm. except that it's, it's actually terrifying. really fucking terrifying. And he tells Ogden that he isn't welcome. Ogden understandably backs away from him, but tries to introduce himself. And the man just repeats, you're not welcome. And Ogden says, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're saying. And Harry's just like, how is he this thick? Is this not obvious to him? Dude is like fucking creepy. He's clearly saying you're not welcome and holding a bloody knife in one hand and his wand in the other. Like, how are you not getting this dude? And Dumbledore just goes, I imagine that you can understand him, Harry. And Harry's just like, yeah, Yeah, why why can't Ogden? And then he sees the snake on the door and he was just like, he's speaking parcel tongue. Mm hmm. Oh, right? Sneaks. Sneaks. Snick. But before they can have any more side conversation about that, the man just full on attacks Ogden. And with a bang, he's on the ground clutching his nose, which is just like oozing. Oozing pus. (laughs) I like how (laughs) sassy Ogden is. Ogden really is great. And Harry, like, thinks in one of the moments he's like oh his respect kind of grows like when he's like are you a muggle-born which we'll get there yeah we'll get that that's gonna fall in next week's episode but at the sound of the bang and ogden falling to the ground a loud voice calls out morphin and an elderly man comes out of the cottage he's shorter than who is apparently morphin he's got these very broad shoulders and long arms and it says it makes him look like an aged monkey because he's also very wrinkly (laughs) and he stops next to Morphin, the man with the knife looks down at Ogden and asks if he's from the ministry and Ogden is rightfully pissed and says yeah are you Mr. Gaunt and the old man says that he is so now we have at least some of his name Mr. Gaunt and we know that he was talking to Morphin Gaunt comments on Ogden's face and says that you should have made your presence known because you're on private property and you can't just walk in here and expect my son to not defend himself. And Ogden's like, defend himself from what, man? Gaunt says, busybodders, intruders, muggles, and filth. (laughs) So he seems classy. Ogden uses his wand, heals his nose, 
And Gaunt tells his son to get in the house and not to argue because he starts to try to. And it's at this point that Harry both hears the words that he's saying in English, but also recognizes the hissing hissing undertone of Parseltongue that he realizes is the only thing Ogden can hear. And how weird would that be to just hear people hissing at each other? Well, Ogden seems pretty smart, so I feel like he's like, "Mm." Okay. I'm sure he knows what's going on, but that doesn't make it any less weird. No, I mean, <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of he's... It's like when people speak their native tongue around you mm-hmm. and you know they're talking about you. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, Morphin does actually go inside, slams the door behind him, and that's where I decided to cut off the book chapter. So we have a lot to talk about the second Next half week, because yeah. there are no movie scenes to go along with it. So... The Gaunts are really interesting to me, which I know next week we get a little more into. A lot more. Like they ran out of money, blah, blah, blah. This reminds me of the Kennedys and how like the Grey Gardens girls were like poor and like out of money and just like because all of their money had been spent. Yeah. And that's kind of how it is. That's kind of how it is with the royal family, too. There are some people whose money has, like, their inheritance has been spent, and now they don't have any money. Yeah. And they feel like they still have this title. But, but that's you, it. They inbreed, right? That's what... Oh, definitely. Dumbledore says uh, years of inbreeding have left them We'll talk me- about that. That specifically gets mentioned at the it end does. of the chapter. It so does. we'll hit that next week. But it's intriguing, because this is something that has happened through the ages. People have literally just their name to live on yeah and that's where they are and it's not even a good name as you'll see next week which we'll talk about it's just so strange how they felt the need to cut this all and we haven't even gotten to the meat of it no we haven't this is a lot to cut out though i mean you don't even yeah you don't even know like the full crux of it but they cut out like a whole bunch of stuff yeah and they cut out a lot of whimsy so much whimsy so much Dumbledore whimsy, which is what I want our Potter pondering to be about. Mm-hmm. I think we have talked about the changes to Dumbledore before. Yep. And his personality and how it's different. But in this specific moment, when Dumbledore and Harry are preparing for their first private lesson together, I want to know what your thoughts are on movie Dumbledore versus book Dumbledore. I think we've done it before, but... I like specifically hearing it for this one because this one is a big deal. Yeah. It's all a big deal to me, but yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. So we just really wanted an opportunity to talk about Gary Oldman a little bit more because he's wonderful. It's Carly's favorite character, Sirius. Lee. (laughs) Seriously, Carly's favorite character. She found an article that talked about how Gary Oldman says Batman and Harry Potter saved him. Both professionally and personally. So he specifically says that he was going through a divorce. He had his boys. And that in itself was very hard because there was just a shift. And then he turned down a lot of work because he couldn't go 
overseas to work because he had his boys. But then Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban started casting. And so he got cast as Sirius. And we also know I love the Dark Knight. It's yeah. like one of my favorites. So after he got cast as Sirius, he got cast in the Dark Knight. As Jim Gordon. As Jim Gordon. And everybody loves a Jim Gordon. I, I do anyway. Yeah. I love oh, Jim no, Gordon. Absolutely. Um, and I specifically love Jim Gordon when he plays him. Yeah. Well, I just love Gary Oldman in general. The man is a fucking chameleon. He got some good stuff happening back to back. And he said it just helped him. We'll share this article so that you can read it. But we just really wanted to take a moment to talk about Gary Oldman and how so many of our keepers that shared Sorting Hat stories, which you are still more than welcome to share if you have not yet or yes, want please. to share it again. But so many of our keepers have mentioned the different ways that Harry Potter saved them. So it's really cool to see that side of an actor who was part of it to talk about how it saved him. Yeah, makes it that much better that he was in it it's very serious like yeah because literally harry potter saved serious too yeah oh and now i'm happy sad <laughs> bittersweet bittersweet but yeah it's not like news news but it's news to my heart so it makes me happy that he did that and that will bring us to this week's trivia question which is, how long was Morphin sentenced to Azkaban? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag MuggleHaterMorphin will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at foxsakepod at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at FoxSakePod. Following us on Podbean at FoxSakePod will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at ForFoxSakePodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter-related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, blogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to become a patron, you can find us on Patreon at Pod. Patronage starts at $2 and will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake Swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, and more. Check out our page for details. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 10, The House of Gaunt, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes or anything even remotely close. It'd be like that. Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are... For, for Fox, Fox Sake. sake.